Hi everyone, it's JC. You made new podcast. We are on episode six today in our season on food, faith-based eating, trying to tackle this in a spiritual way, not just a physical way. I hope that this has been a little different for you as you've pondered and wrestled with some of the ideas that were, were that I'm throwing out there. Today will not be any different. <laughs> And again, let me just say one more time, I hope you're building one on the other. I hope you've been listening to the first five first, because we are going to continue that. I'm going to assume you know that stuff or that you've heard it. You've had time to mentally process it a bit. Doesn't mean like you've conquered it. I mean, I'm still working on some of my stuff, but we're beginning to move in this direction where we're trying to break the attachment that we have to food deep inside that those desires that have just been clinging to this thing to meet so many different kinds of needs in our mind and in our heart. We were also working on um, accessing the power of Christ to break the power of the flesh over us to, again, um, acknowledge that part of this is our natural man and we need Christ. And that's what the last episode was about is that full on um, on our knees in brokenness and humility saying to him, I need you a hundred percent for this. I'll never be able to master it on my own. I hope that was, um, a good place to come to. Our society teaches us to feel shame when we acknowledge our weakness, but man, for me, it's beautiful to just come before him saying, I need full powers of the atonement. <laughs> like I don't just need a little help. I'll get myself 80% of the way. They just need a little help at the end to put me over that, you know, last bump. No, from the beginning, I need it. I need to be rescued. To me, it's a very liberating statement, a cool place to come to. So I hope that you've kind of, again, like I said, wrestled with that. Today, we're going to continue now as we seek the Lord's help and as we are trying to be very prayerful very spirit-led as we're moving forward and trying to look at our attachment to food. We need to do, we're going to revisit a little bit what I said in the introduction. As we talked about that analogy of when I was dating somebody and fell in love and tried to talk myself out of it and couldn't because my heart was so attached. We talked about two goals that will help us break that those kinds of attachments. And there are two goals for this season. Um, one was... It helps to learn some of the unhealthy consequences of that relationship, right? To kind of look at it in greater depth and hopefully that will begin to lessen our grip on that thing. But the second one was to find a deeper and a greater love that will take over that place in our heart. We won't need the lesser thing. We won't need to cling to the chocolate or the chips or the soda or whatever it was for some needs that we think are being met that way, we're getting them need through met through a greater source, a more fulfilling source. We're going to talk about both of those things a little bit today. Um, but we're going to go into a concept that for me, as I began to deal with it in the food area of my life, it was eye-opening. And we've talked about this on different levels in the first two session or two seasons. So this won't be new to those of you that have followed my podcast, but we are going to zero in in terms of food. It comes from, we'll introduce it from a verse in Philippians chapter three, 
Now, this is a concept I dive deep into in my satisfied class. We're just going to touch on it here for a few minutes. Philippians 3.19, Paul is talking about some who are struggling to believe, who are um, getting distracted and, and uh, having false motivations, false desires in their heart. In fact, let me open this up. I forgot to on my phone. Um, and so the way he quotes it, this is Philippians 3, verse 19, where he's describing some who have, have made their belly their God. And, and that is, we're just going to camp on that one phrase that comes out of the message. I studied this one verse in like four different translations, because to me, again, I don't prefer one translation over the other. It's just cool to see different ways of phrasing the ideas that Paul is writing in Greek here. The King James, the King James version talks about those whose the God, their God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame and who mind earthly things. That's kind of the common translation in the NIV. It talked about their mind being set on earthly things. Their God is their stomach. Their mind is set on earthly things. Same in the NLT, but I like the phrasing better in the New Living Translation. It was kind of cool. It says their God is their appetite. They think only about this life here on earth. We're, we're minding earthly things. Our mind is set on earthly things. But I also loved the message translation too on this one, because after stating the idea that some of us make our bellies our gods, it says all they can think of is their appetites. It's that same idea of our mind being set. But those other translations talked about our mind being set on world er, earthly things, things of this life. But in the message, it talks about our appetites, our mind being set on our appetites. And that really got me to thinking about this. Now, again, I, I do a whole thing on idolatry in, in season two, in episode nine of season two. We're going to take it specifically, just what Paul said, and talk about making our belly our God, making food our God, our appetite, our physical appetite our God in this session a little bit more about how when we do that we set our minds on our appetites and and I think as we kind of throw that out there that food can be a god a counterfeit god an idol in our lives again we do a lot more with this insatisfied our our tendency a lot of times is immediately to jump to denial like okay <laughs> JC I've been with you all these episodes I've been hanging in there with you but I don't Food is not a God in my life. It's really, really easy to go there. Like I don't worship it. I don't. And again, we've, we've dealt with themes like this before, but many have joined me just for this season. So I've got to throw it out there anew. I've got to kind of just put it on the table because our first instinct is like, ah, come on. It's not a God to me. I just like it. <laughs> just like how it tastes. Stop. You keep going into all these weird places. No, I don't know. I'm just kind of highlighting that that tendency often crops up. We're going to use some quotes um, from author Timothy Keller today. I love almost everything he writes, but the God, the his book Counterfeit Gods is has really, really taken me to a new level in terms of seeing idolatry in my life, not just with food. Man, he digs it and digs it and digs it to where you're just like mind blown. Like it, it just is so pervasive once you see it through his lens. 
But when he, in his introduction, when he begins to describe the concept of idolatry, he uses a definition that for me really shifted my denial so that I could start to go, oh yeah, yeah, I can see it now. So we're going to use this definition real quick. I think I've used it before, but we've got to do it right now to just make the point. He makes the initial observation. We think that idols are bad things, but that is almost never the case. The greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hopes. Anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially, he says, the very best things in life. So he continues, he says, so what is an idol? It's anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. I'm going to keep going. This is a powerful quote. He says, a counterfeit God is, is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel hardly worth living. Now, let me pause for a minute because I know I've said in other episodes that as a coach, and, and again, I've done this myself too. I'm not judging. I've done this, said this, but I've heard it from so many people that when I talk to them about my recovery from sugar addiction and how I don't really eat Krispy Kreme donuts anymore. I mean, I get looks, you guys, I'm serious. I get looks and I have heard people say to me, life is too short. Like it wouldn't be worth living. You take that away. I'd rather be dead. I have heard a version of that so many times. Now listen again to what Timothy Keller just said. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. Think about your own response to that. He continues, an idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotion, emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. Now, again, before we back away in denial, think about these characteristics he's outlining in this definition. You can spend all kinds of thought, life, passion, energy. You're, you're, you're just thrown into pursuing it without even a second thought. It's not like you have to remind yourself to wake up in the morning and make sure your favorite treats are available that day. You have put enough passion and energy and money, he says, financial resources into it. You have that arranged. (laughs) You've bought several cases of the Coke and they're in your basement or in your, you know, in your garage waiting to be consumed. You're made sure without a second thought, you just, that's part of your routine. That's got to be in place because life would not be worth living without these little, little guilty pleasures. I was that way with chocolate. I wish, I like honestly wish I could go back and look at how much money I spent over the years. Like even if it's just the checkout line in Walmart where I grab a candy bar every time I go through, it was worse than that. I did way more than that. DQ blizzards. Like I had my favorite haunts. But I wish I could really tell you, it's got to be in the thousands, multiple thousands of over the course of 20 years as a sugar addict. Talk about financial resources without a second thought. It didn't even occur to me that maybe that money could be going to something else. No, it would go to this. There was no discussion. (laughs) I will have these things in the house. Like we could even be tight on money. That's the funniest thing. I mean, we were raising seven kids. On one, one income. And things were really tight sometimes when the water heater would go out or the car would break down. You would think during those days, I would have been like, oh, I don't have enough money for chocolate. Like, I've got to tighten up our food budget. I, 
that was always non-negotiable. I never did. I feel kind of foolish admitting that because it didn't even cross my mind at the time to maybe cut out that expense (laughs) because it was, it was the thing I had to have. (laughs) It was a counterfeit God to me because I sought it out to give my heart that kind of fulfillment. Let's finish. Um, He says an idol is what, whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. I'll know I have value. I'll feel significant and, excuse me, and secure. Um, and, and with food, I would replace those words, words a little bit. I don't know that food made me feel significant. It did make me feel secure to have my favorite treats. Like I went, no matter how bad the day was, I knew I had a way to cope. Um, I don't know that it gave me value or meaning, but it gave me satisfaction. It gave me fulfillment. It gave me bliss. It gave me an escape. It numbed pain. It numbed boredom. If I have that, according according to his words, it's something in our mind that if I have that, I'll have the deliverance. I'll have what I need, no matter how life, how bad life gets today. So, why am I, why am I hammering this? You're like, oh, you're making me feel terrible. <laughs> I mean, I had to. I had to face the music too on this. I'm not, I'm not saying I haven't gone through this too, where I just went, Oh, are you kidding me? I fit every description of an idol. Part of it is my goal in saying the way we break the attachment is learning more about the unhealthy, unhealthy consequences of this relationship we have with food. So yes, we, you could talk all day about how junk food um, kills your blood pressure and you gain weight and your blood sugar is all over the place. And we could talk about all these health results, all these other reasons that this is not a good choice to eat a lot of this stuff. But when we begin to define it as a false God in our lives, that's stealing our affections from the true God. I mean, Tim Keller said in his definition, it's anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination. And again, let's not go to denial. Let's not be like, oh, come on. I love God. I am in the scriptures. And yes, you may spend a good deal of time practicing your faith. I mean, I did too. But a lot of my imagination, my heart was absorbed by this other thing. By my interest in making sure that that was a part of my day every day. It wasn't just a few days a week. (laughs) It was part of my everyday, something I look forward to every day. Maybe it was that treat at the end of the day when it had been a really hard day. I could get the kids in bed and then pull out my favorite munchies and just have an escape moment. It absorbed my heart and my imagination in part, just like Timothy Keller said. It's anything he said that you seek to give you what only God can give you. That's the crazy thing. Because I... It's like I gave my faith to God. I gave my respect to him, my reverence. Um, one part of me, but when it came to my satisfaction, my fulfillment, occasionally, yes, I would seek him for that filling. But a lot of times I offered that. I sought food to give me what only God can give me. Let me, let me give you one more Tim Keller quote. It's funny, this one I haven't used before. Um, and I was reading through it today. And he's actually talking about a section on money, making money our God. 
let me just put two cents in here. He also does a chapter on romantic love, family love, how those can become gods. Like he, he is so insightful on the human heart and, and how easy it is to turn good things into gods, into counterfeit gods, into ultimate things that take the place of the true God. But in this section, he's talking about money, but I'm going to replace the word food. I'm going to just read the same paragraph, but put food in it instead, because I was kind of laughing like, oh man, (laughs) he just nailed it. So he says, food, money, food can become a spiritual addiction. And like all addictions, it's, it hides its true proportions from its victims. That's the net denial I was talking about. Like all addictions, it hides its true proportion from its victims. We take more and greater risks to get an ever diminishing satisfaction from the thing we crave. We need more and more because the same amount just doesn't do it anymore. He says, until a breakdown occurs. When we begin to recover, we ask, what were we thinking? How could we have been so blind? We wake up like people with a hangover who can hardly remember the night before. But why? Why did we act so irrationally? Why did we completely lose sight of what is right? Haven't you ever felt like that after a binge? Where you just lost it. You didn't just binge in one sitting. Like the whole day just went downward spiral. (laughs) Every time you ate, you were just like, well, and I've joked with people. It's called last supper eating a lot of times. Well, like I I know I'm going to start dieting again again tomorrow. So I am going to go ham today. (laughs) Not just eat an extra cookie. I'm going to like hork everything I can find because tomorrow's going to be back to restriction. And then, and that's going to be awful. So I better just, but have you ever woke up after a binge or after a bad day or after like a week of it or a couple weeks where you just fell off the wagon? You maybe had been doing well or whatever. But then after a breakdown, he says, we, rec- we just wake up and we go, why did I act so rashly? Like, why couldn't I stop? Why couldn't I control myself? Why did I completely lose sight of all the goals I had set for myself, of all my intents and my promises to myself to eat better? He says, the Bible's answer is that the human heart is an idol factory. <laughs> when most people think of idols, he says they have in their mind little literal statues or the next pop star anointed by Simon Cowell. <laughs> Yet while traditional idol worship still occurs in many places of the world, internal idol worship within the heart is universal. He says in Ezekiel 4 or 14 verse 3, God says about the elders of Israel, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. Like us, the elders must have responded to this charge. Idols? What idols? I don't see any idols. But our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us fulfillment if we attain them. Idols? What idols? <laughs> this, is, this is tough. But as part of the process of breaking the attachment, we have to understand the seriousness of the situation. The more we reign in, remain in, desire, in denial, I'm, I'm having a hard time today. I'm tripping over my tongue. It's just like a woman in an unhealthy relationship. The more she's in denial, she'll just stay. She won't look at the depths of what it really is. And so to break our heart's attachment, to get our heart to stop clinging to this thing that we've told ourselves it wouldn't be worth living if we didn't have it. 
We've got to see it for what it really is. It's idolatry because we have set it up in our mind and heart to fulfill, to give us something that only really God can get. I mean, give us. Like Psalms 107 verse 9 talks about God satisfieth the longing soul. Like there's verses all over in the scriptures and we're out of time. I can't launch into them, but he promises again and again and again. I'm not just here to bless you. I can satisfy those cravings in your heart, those longings, those needs that you feel are unmet. I can do it in a way that the chocolate chip cookies just can't do. You're going to need more and more and more of those and it's still going to turn to dust in your mouth. But I can do it. So we've got to process that this week. I know my time's out, but what I really want you to do is spend some time looking at the ways. Again, maybe go back to um, season two, episode nine, if you haven't listened to that in a while. It's kind of an overview of idolatry, kind of a, a big picture of what this can look like. I use some a story and some different examples beyond food. But if you need to spend a little more time after this episode, go to that one, process it, work it through, and really let it settle in. We do not want to get stuck in this place because this God can't fill. He can't. He, food, it can't. (laughs) Not like the true God. Oh, my time went too quick. All right. I'm just going to leave you that, that challenge to have an adventure a little bit. And, and to really maybe take a look at Tim Keller's book, you can find some stuff online, maybe some stuff he's written on this without having to purchase the book and just maybe talk or think through in your, in your mind, how important God is to you and whether or not you really do want to give him your whole heart. Like how converted are you in a way that it bothers you that maybe you love something more than him process that. And then we'll come back next week and continue right where we left off. Thanks so much for joining me today. Good luck with your search this week.